Hello, friends, and welcome back to the show. This is the Dustcast, the podcast dedicated to exploring the ancient context of our faith. I'm excited to bring to you today an interview with Jory Micah. We talked about a very uh, important topic to our church culture today, uh, women's roles, both gender roles in general and specifically women's leadership roles within the church. And of course, as always with this podcast, we tried to take a more ancient look at the first century culture or uh, what all we can know about biblical culture. So for the first 15 minutes or so, we kind of talk about modern day practical issues, what's going on here and now. And then about 15 minutes into this discussion, we turn a bit more to the specifics of the biblical examples and try to take a look at exactly what can we see women doing in the New Testament and in the Bible overall. And what does that mean for us in terms of what God uh, wants? So I hope you enjoy it. I know I did. Uh, Thanks a lot for joining. Uh, Well, so as we get started, I thought maybe I would ask you um, just a little about your background as well. Did you... Did you grow up as a Christian or come to Christ later in life? Sure. Um, I actually did grow up in a Christian home. Um, I grew up in a more, um, I guess, Pentecostal, charismatic background. And um, my father was a, a minister throughout my life, uh, more of an evangelist where you know he had different job, pastoral-type jobs, but mostly just uh, preached at various churches and, and also uh, led worship at various churches, and so I kind of grew up in the church a lot, and um, my mother actually owned a um, a retail business, and so I was very used to seeing um, women leaders uh, in the business world, and um, even in the ministry world, my mom took a lot of leadership there, too. And my father actually was very uh, pro-women in leadership um, and and ministry. Um, So I never really even knew that people were against female church leadership until I was in college. (laughs) So I, um, so yeah, I mean, I I grew up in a very... uh, Christian and and probably more conservative um, environment, but 100% for women in leadership. And the churches that you were in at the time, was it your observation that they sort of were willing to explicitly endorse women's participation the way you you say your mother took leadership roles? Or um, I guess I'm asking partially because I've also seen you write online about the difficulty for a woman finding a job in ministry. I know you you mm-hmm. uh, work in the Christian world, and uh, it can be very difficult sure. for female ministers to find work. So I, I guess I'm just curious, the, the kind of the sure. denominations or churches you grew up in, were they um, more accepting of explicit women's leadership? Um, what I have found to be true in a lot of, um, I guess we could call it egalitarian um, denomination, church denominations, um, they are, most of them are pro-women in leadership when it comes to theory, but, it, and also when it comes to volunteer positions, mm-hmm. um, but when it actually comes to uh, paid pastoral roles to, um, like, a full-time youth job, youth pastor, full-time college pastor, 
full-time lead pastor, um, any of those roles, men are still very much preferred. And so even though a lot, and that's actually a huge, huge conversation right now in the more um, pro-women in ministry churches is, you know, how do we stop just saying that we're for this, but actually be for it and actually start uh, practicing our theories and putting them and, and, that, and that those conversations are happening in the conservative world right now um, where we are, we are trying to get this, you know, just a, a theory that women can lead and God does choose women to lead um, to actual practice to where women are able to, um, if they're trained and if they're qualified, um, they should be able to get pastoral positions and, and they should have the same opportunities um, that men have. And we are not seeing that very much yet, but it's starting to happen little by little. Yeah. You know, you mentioned if they're trained and if they're qualified, that's something that I, I think I see written about a lot when you read about um, women in the first century church is questions mm -hmm. about, you know, are some of the things we see Paul writing about or, you know, other places in the New Testament uh, related to um, the typical level of women's education in the day and how likely they were to be sure. theologically trained and that sort of thing. In our world, do you think there are still big barriers there? I mean, what is it like for a, you know, a, a female Christian um, trying to go to seminary or get higher level education? Is it, um, are, are there sure. still big roadblocks? Um, actually, no, I don't. In my experience, there, there are not roadblocks for women to be trained um, in seminary at least not here in the United States, um, even complementarian, you know, super patriarchal type seminaries and universities, they even accept women into their programs. Now, women might face some opposition from peers and even from professors um, at, while they're kind of training. But actually, I think what why this conversation has become such a hot topic, I guess, in the last uh, five to ten years um, is because women are trained. Women are graduating from from seminary. You know, women are, it used to be that women would sometimes go to Bible school or maybe ministry school, but, you know, a lot of times they'd end up marrying a pastor and, and that would be it. You know, but now women are are going on to higher education in the world of theology and ministry. And it's a real problem when you have a lot of women who have this higher education and who have um, invested their entire life, their resources, their energy, thousands and thousands of dollars. Um, they have invested into their ministerial training, and then they graduate to find um, that they're really not being, they're really not preferred, and in a lot of circles, they are not even permitted to apply uh, for jobs. And so I, I think that there's, there's this disconnect between the seminaries and the Bible schools and, and the reality of what's happening out in the world. So I think these women, they, they feel a strong calling, sometimes as very young girls, 
and then they go through all the steps, they do all the training, and then they graduate from seminary and they realize their their reality. And their reality is that they are they can be more qualified than most males out there and still be looked over. Churches are still hiring men who have not even gone to seminary um, to be their pastors over women who have gone to seminary. Hmm. And it's just... We've got. I think that's why this conversation is getting hotter and hotter and hotter because now women are, and there's you know there's deeper problems with our economy and and the way we do church in general here in America has become business in a way, but you know women have all this student loan debt and you know when and I'm a perfect example you know I I was trained. Um, for I went to Bible school, then I went to ministry school, then I went to seminary, and you know I was in my late twenties before I finished all this work. And at that point, you're you're niched into that, and it's very difficult to get any other job um, outside of church ministry when your degrees are all in theology and ministry. And then you're just kind of stuck as a woman. I, I get so many emails from women who are like, you know, I have a PhD in theology and I can't even uh, get a youth pastor job. <laughs> you know, meanwhile, the, this uh, 25-year-old guy who doesn't even, didn't never even went to Bible school, um, just got the lead pastor job uh, at the church down the street. So... I think practically speaking, that's why this conversation has gotten, it's not just about the biblical text anymore. It's also about the the moral obligation of the universities and the denominations and the churches that are charging women to go to school and training them without their being realistic that they're, they're not going to hire them. Mm. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We could probably talk much longer than I have about just that issue. Um, um sure. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I do want to be sure that we get to some of your research because I, I did, sure. um, I read your master's thesis and you, so you oh, wrote your thanks. thesis on, uh, female headship in the church in the first two centuries. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, what, what led you to that topic? How did you get interested enough at the time you were doing your master's to, to focus there? Sure. Um, Well, actually, what led me to that was when I graduated with my um, undergraduate degree in church ministries, and I went to apply for jobs, um, a lot of the job descriptions, even, and I was fairly young, so at the time, I I was trying to apply for maybe like a youth pastor position, because I did not have any desire or calling to work with children. And so, I was like, well, you know, I'll try to be a youth pastor. And, you know, even with a four-year ministry degree, I found that the thing that made me unqualified was that I was a woman. Because a lot of the descriptions would literally say, um, only men should apply or we're looking for God's man for this job. And 
I was like, oh, my gosh, like, what in the world? Because, like I said, I didn't grow up around that way of thinking. Mm. And so I had no idea um, the reality of the situation until I graduated um, undergrad and went to look for um, a pastoral role. And so I decided that I would go to seminary in hopes of maybe end up teaching college or even, you know, maybe if I, I mean, I think my thinking was, you know, if, if I have higher education than, than most men who are pursuing ministry, then maybe I'll be able to get a ministry job, you know, which wasn't true, you know, mm-hmm. even through all that, even through, you know, throughout seminary and um, even after seminary, I still was not qualified simply because of my gender. And so during um, seminary, I I really felt like um, these, that's when I started learning about uh, like the complementarianism and things like that in the church. And I started realizing like, okay, like this, like, at least in the evangelical church, this complementarianism is the reason that I can't find a job. (laughs) And these people really believe what they're teaching to be biblical. And so my goal when I wrote my master's thesis, um, and it actually is about women in leadership in the first and second centuries of the church, um, my whole goal was to use mostly the Bible to back up, hey, that women operated in all five of the fivefold ministries um, and as leaders of the church in the first two centuries. And so I, I, my goal has always been to stick close to the biblical text because that's, I believe that the Bible is the written word of God, and I believe that it should hold the final weight and authority in the Christian's life, and I don't believe that women in ministry is this super liberal or progressive thing. It's it's a very old thing, yeah. and it's a very biblical thing if we actually take time to study what all the women did in the Bible. Yeah. Well, so let's go through some specific examples. When when you look at the biblical witness and what you see women in the New Testament actually doing in the stories, mm-hmm. um, what are some examples that come to mind that... Um, you know, would inform, uh, I guess, our perspective on gender roles? Sure. Um, well, I think the first thing to point out is that I don't believe, I don't really see gender roles as a biblical command in the Old or New Testament. Um, gender roles are cultural, you know, and we see that throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. We see sort of gender roles um, described, but we never see this, you know, men, it is very direct, like men, you do this, women, you do this. Now, of course, there's a few passages in the New Testament that causes um, some problems for us, and we have to work it out, you know, we have to figure out those passages, you know. Um, But for the most part, I think that gender roles are totally cultural, Um, And I think that Jesus came to earth to set us free from oppressive gender roles. And I mean, gender roles are are not 
always a bad thing, but when they turn into a hierarchy of authority or a hierarchy of spiritual power, um, that's when it turns into oppression for women, and that that's what's happened in the church. And I mean, as you know, as you said before, Mary um, Mary really broke a mold, and Jesus <laughs> Jesus really um, challenges us on gender roles in with the Mary and Martha story. And so I, I think Mary is a, is a big deal where she is sitting at the feet of Jesus instead of doing the cooking and, and preparing for all the men um, as her sister Martha was doing. Mary, Mary was, was sitting at the feet of Jesus, which was a, a sign of a disciple. So she was sitting there with all the men <laughs> learning from Jesus as her rabbi. And I imagine the men in the room were probably very uncomfortable and like, well, when is Jesus going to like tell this woman to go back to her role? And he didn't. And in fact, it's, it's, I also find it interesting that, that it's Martha that gets frustrated and that calls Mary out because I have found that even a lot of women are um, sometimes even more anti-women in ministry than men, sometimes men are. Like, so this isn't just like a man against woman thing. Like this is like some women out there like will really fight against um, women leading and will continuously try to put women back into a cultural role because they feel that that's the biblical role. But really it's just the traditional role. But anyways, Jesus says that Mary has chosen what was better. And the reason was not because she's, you know, being defiant or anything like that. She just, her heart was to sit, sit and listen to the teachings of Christ and to follow Christ. Like that's all she wanted to do with her life. And she wasn't interested in doing anything else. And so I think that that was what Jesus was impressed with. It was like, you know, I, He's, it seems to me that Jesus didn't really care if you were male or female. What he cared about was, are you going to follow me? You know, are you going to actually sit and listen to my teachings? And that was what Jesus was impressed with, with Mary. So I would say um, also Priscilla is a, a huge um, help to women in ministry. Her name is mentioned by the Apostle Paul. Um, seven times in the New Testament, and out of those seven times, her name is mentioned before her husband's name five times, and in a very patriarchal culture that they lived in, that was a pretty um, big deal to list a woman's name before her husband's name, and what that probably would have signified was that Priscilla was probably the stronger Christian leader of the two. She was probably the stronger Bible teacher of the two. Um, she probably even had the stronger personality of the two. And um, her husband, Okula, it seems like he was in ministry with her. But it really does seem to point to that, that she, was, um, she was favored by the Apostle Paul. And it was because she was a Bible teacher and she was a serious Bible teacher. She didn't um, abuse the scriptures and she, she was leading the Gentiles to Christ. And that was all of Paul's mission and heart was to lead Gentiles to Christ. 
So um, then, of course, we have Junia, who is an apostle, and um, she was mentioned in Romans, I think it's Romans 16, as outstanding among the apostles. And for 500 years, Bible translators translated her name Junius, which is a male name, and it was meant to cover up her identity as a woman. And it's funny because when it was a male, when people considered it to be a male name, uh, nobody questioned that that Junius or Junia was an apostle and was an outstanding one at that. But now that it's been fairly widely discovered that the name Junius really didn't even exist when that that when Romans was written, um, and that, that the name should actually say Junia, and so we know that that Junia was female. Now people are are starting new arguments of you know oh well she we don't know what that that means and maybe she was just like maybe the apostles just really liked her and she had a good reputation and they thought she was outstanding you know and, and just kind of silly arguments instead of the the text is right there like people just many Christians just cannot fathom. Um, a woman that was an apostle who would have been at the same leadership level as Paul or Peter or any of the apostles. And she was mentioned by the apostle Paul who, who said some of the problematic things that we have to deal with, with women in ministry. So um, those are some of the new Testament examples. And then of course we see Phoebe who was a deaconess Um but I, I think that the biggest, um, the most proof for uh, women being called to leadership in the Bible is uh, Judge Judge Deborah in the Old Testament. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, this judge, I mean, this woman, she was living in a time where it was extreme, you know, patriarchy, and she was raised up to be um, a a commander-in-chief, essentially, over the Israelite army. And she was a judge, she was a prophet, and she was a warrior, and she gave direct commands, and she had a lot of authority. And some people want to say that, you know, oh, God was judging the nation um, by allowing a woman to lead because there were no godly men around or whatever. But I think that's a silly argument because they Deborah won under Deborah's leadership. They were actually released from oppression, God's people. So I don't think Deborah was a sign of judgment. I think Deborah was a sign of mercy, and people, you know, they were set free. And she reigned for forty years as a leader, and and during her reigns as judge, there was peace. And that doesn't sound like God's judgment to me at all. So I think that those are, those are probably the top examples of um, women who really broke the mold in the Bible. Yeah, that's great. That There's a lot packed into there. Um, yeah. I mean, if I go back even to your first example, Mary and Martha, I think that story doesn't strike us as, as shocking anymore in our culture because we are fairly used to women learning, right? I mean, we, we right. don't have a problem with women attending Bible classes and 
any right. congregation I'm aware of. But um, I, I heard a, uh, a Jewish professor once give a lecture, and her area of research had been, did women study Torah during the Talmudic period? And she was attempting mm-hmm. to make what I thought was a very modest proposal that there were a handful of examples where a female who had a rabbi either as a husband or a father might have learned some Torah directly from mm-hmm. her father or husband, mostly in the house. And that was about right. as far as she could take it. And even that, she said, she got a lot of resistance from other academics about whether even that was really true, because the prevailing assumption had been during this period of the Talmud, women just did not study Torah, period. And so for in that mm-hmm. culture, for Mary to be a disciple of a rabbi, you know, sitting at his feet, studying Torah, I think would have been right. unheard of at that time period. Yeah, it absolutely would have been. And especially in public like that, you know, where there were a lot of people around yeah. and they were at home, but there were a lot of people around and it wasn't, it wasn't this, um, you know, one-on-one, a father teaching a daughter or a husband teaching a wife, you know, it, it was, she was, she was taking her position and it, it, it was a position um, that would have been scandalous for a woman to take. Yeah. And Jesus praised it as good. Yeah. Well, yeah. And so then we do get into more controversy when we talk about women teaching men as opposed to just mm-hmm. learning. And um, you mentioned sure. the example of Priscilla. And, yeah, it, you know, if we just look at the face value of what it seems like women in the New Testament and, you know, to your point, the whole Bible do – um, I mean, my reading of Acts 18 makes it seem pretty clear that Priscilla taught Apollos. You know, I don't think there's any way we oh, can yeah. not believe that Priscilla was involved in teaching Apollos. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and then the, the Junia example, there's probably been way too much research on, on that for us to cover <laughs> exhaustively. I'll, I'll put yeah. a few sh- uh, links out in, in the show notes page for people that are interested in exploring it further. But yeah, you know, I think you hit on most of the kind of key points I've seen debated there where, you know, first of all, is Junia female or not? And then is she an apostle? And I, I guess for a long time, I had been used to thinking of the word apostle only in the sort of capital A sense of the 12. Um, and of course, mm-hmm. Paul is sort of an obvious weird example there of, of one that was late, right. late, lately born, as he put it, I think. But then, you know, there's a, an example where Barnabas is called an apostle. And so there's clearly this other idea of apostles being additional leaders sent by Christ and Sure. Um, a lot of our translations that we still have don't make it particularly clear whether Junia was an apostle. That some sound almost like um, she was someone that the apostles liked. You know, she was right. esteemed by the apostles. But it, from from what I've seen, more and more translations do seem to be um, putting it more clearly as um, you know, great. Uh, now I'm going to stumble over the words, but essentially a, a great apostle. You know, great among the examples of the apostles. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, it's becoming more and more, um, you know, more and more Bible translations are changing it because the, the evidence is overwhelming that she was truly an apostle. And and like I said, before before she was thought to be a woman in the last 500 years when the, people thought she was male, everyone just assumed that she was an apostle. It wasn't until recently to where it's been, um, you know, 
the evidence has just been overwhelming that 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 this name is supposed to be Junia, and which is female. That people started saying, well, maybe she wasn't an apostle, you know, because they have a hard time believing that a woman could have been an apostle. But we see the thing is is that we see women leading throughout the entire Old Testament and the New Testament and in church history. And yes, it is it is the exception, but that's because it's we they were living in extremely patriarchal times. And it's the exception in those times, but as we as we study church history, uh we see women leading in every way possible and, and fruit, you know, good fruit coming out of their ministries. And actually, I, th- I think it was Tertullian, the church father, um, where he he actually was annoyed with Christianity. And there's uh, documents of him being annoyed with Christianity because of how well Christianity treated women and gave them a place in the kingdom of God. And gave them an equal place, you know, and it wasn't, it wasn't until, I think it's like, maybe like the fourth century to where when Constantine um, became the emperor of Rome and, and he made Christianity the national religion to where really men kind of started taking over Christianity and it became a powerful thing and, and a nationalistic religion. And, um, women kind of got, you know, pushed over to the side. But in the first two centuries, women were, there's a lot of sociology evidence that women were a big reason for the rapid growth of early Christianity, Um, that women were, were more attracted to early Christianity than the men were at first. And they, a lot of them, a lot of, I don't know if you ever heard of Rodney Stark, but he wrote a book um, on this and he, he says that a lot of the reason for the rapid growth was because women were flocking to Christianity. And he said there's a few things. One, they were no longer um, getting abortions when, or throwing baby girls away. Um, because Christians have always been against abortion and emphasized since the very beginning of Christianity. And it, it used to be in that time that girls, it was not uncommon at all to, to throw away a baby girl. Um, or if a ba- if someone was thought to be carrying a baby girl, you know, based off suspicion or whatever, getting an abortion was not considered taboo, an abortion and literally throwing your baby away, those were not taboo things. And they would just just throw away baby girls. Baby girls were seen as as less less valuable. And Christian women stopped doing that. And so with with the subculture of Christianity, girls um, began to, women and girls began to outnumber um, the men. And so women were forced to marry pagan men because there were no, there weren't as many Christian men. And then um, a lot of secondary conversions, what they call it, um, happened where a lot of these men came to know Christ through their wives, through their, through their wives. 
Um, and so then more and more and more men started to come to Christianity. But um, there's always, there's a lot of evidence of um, women being um, a very important part in Christianity. And of course, we know that Jesus revealed himself um, after he rose from the dead to, uh, to women first, you know, and, and that says a lot. That's, and a woman's testimony meant nothing back then. Yeah, so, in, a, in a patriarchal society, that seems like a bad strategic move on the part of the Gospels to include that part about women bringing the message. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think everything with Jesus is upside down, you yeah. know? Everything, every, t- every time we think we have, we, we have Jesus figured out, it he turns things over on its head. And I think that's, that's why the Apostle Paul says that there's, there is no male nor female in Jesus Christ, nor, nor slave nor free, and um, status doesn't matter because it, it, he, all, that, that culture, and really every culture throughout all of history, you know, we as human beings, we always want to make someone, we're, we're prejudiced, you know, and we always want to make make it so this people group has more power than this people group. But, you know, the the Pentecost, the Holy Spirit falling on all Christian women and men sort of evens the playing field to where we are filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's the Spirit of God within us that serves and that leads and that, uh, you know, does all these things. It's not about gender anymore it's about and it really never was it's it's about the spirit of god and giving god glory for everything that we do as women and men yeah yeah that's great well Mm -hmm. that i think that's a great message to sort of conclude with um i know we're probably getting near the end of our time here but um if people are somewhat new to this or at least new to your work where can they find more Mm -hmm. Sure. Well, I um, I run a blog and um, sort of a ministry, I guess you could call it, for, at jorymica.com. So that's J-O-R-Y-M-I-C-A-H.com. And then I'm on Facebook at Jorymica Ministries, and I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Jorymica. And um, it's a pretty um, ongoing conversation. So i I invite anyone to follow, and I, I love to have conversations on social media. So I, I'm I'm fairly responsive, um, and I try to respond to as many people as possible who who genuinely want to talk yeah. and have this conversation. Well, I really appreciate you uh, responding to my request and making time for this. It's been great sure. to have the conversation. Yeah, and thank you for having me. I appreciate it too. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Jory. Uh, I hope all goes well with future endeavors. All right, and to you. Talk to you soon. Thanks for joining me for another episode of The Dustcast. As always, you can find show notes at thedustcast.com. That's a great place to leave a comment about an episode or ideas for future episodes or any questions you have. You can email me at jason at theduskcast.com, and you can find The Dustcast on Twitter, Facebook, and most of your favorite podcast subscription services, including iTunes. 
If you like what you hear, leave me a rating or a review. I'd appreciate it. And of course, let me know what's on your mind and what you'd like to hear next. Go and have a blessed week.